Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the La Rouge Rugby Podcast, focusing on real Canadian rugby. I'm Shu Hardy, joined as always by Derek Brissett, but this week we have a very special guest joining us. She is one of the most decorated rugby players in Canadian history, a highlight on both the 7th and 15th circuit, a a bronze medal winner in the Olympics, a silver medal winner in the Rugby World Cup, and a gold medal winner at the Pan Am Games, the Queen of Quebec City, Karen Paquin. Karen, it's a delight to have you here tonight. Hi, guys. Before we begin any of these uh, interviews, we always have the same questions we ask all our guests. And the first one being, what has got you started in rugby to begin with? Uh, For myself, it was pretty simple. My volleyball coach, uh, they were starting a team. I was in what would be secondary three in Quebec, if you're uh, familiar with the school system here. And uh, he just told me and one of my friends, hey, we're starting a rugby team. Uh, You'd be allowed to hit people. So I think you'd love it. Please come and join us. (laughs) It worked. (laughs) What specifically about rugby kind of at that point with your volleyball coach suggesting that you come out? Like what got rugby to stick versus, say, maybe going back to volleyball or any of the other sports that you may have played? Um, Well, I stayed in I I would consider myself a multi-sport athlete. Like growing up, I tried multiple sports and I I loved uh, a lot of them. Um, But there is something about being aggressive that doesn't stand really well with a lot of sports and uh, weird enough it works well with volleyball because there's a net between you and the team so you can like hit as hard as you can but you don't hit people so it kind of worked out um but rugby is really where i could feel like i was being myself and it was like actually rewarding to be myself so it was it was awesome i didn't have to control it or anything i could just channel it into hitting people and that was fun I, I love the amount of times we get answers on this that are like, I just really wanted to hit people uh, as a reason to join rugby teams. It seems like it's a very good marketing strategy by this sport. I don't know if it works well with parents, but with the kids, it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, obviously that um, volleyball coach must have been very influential um, when uh, you were beginning to play rugby. Was there anyone else uh, that when you started um, really you know, kept you involved in rugby instead of moving back into other sports? Um, I would say that when I when I was in university and like through Sejip in university, I was like, I wouldn't say I had like an attitude problem, but I was quite the character. And um, there was like tough times where um, I got myself kicked off the team for a, like half a season or something. And I would say that the coach at the time like had the patience to kind of work with me um, and I learned to like communicate and stuff like that. So I, I thought that was a good learning and I would say that it it was influential in my in my career because I got to that point where I decided like, do I actually go back into rugby or do I move on to something else? So I would say that those people that like were there during that time, they um, they had a big influence on on whether I stuck with it. And I'm quite happy that I did in the end. 
uh, as Canadian rugby fans, we are also quite happy that you uh, stuck with it. Um, it's and uh, you know, obviously, as I just mentioned, we are we are fans. Enjoy watching uh, yourself play, as well as the the rest of your teammates uh, at this most recent World Cup. But um, when you were first getting into rugby, was there any uh, any player or teams that kind of stuck with you as far as uh, uh, players that you enjoyed watching and maybe had a little bit of influence on how you uh, formulated your own game? Um. When when I started, like, it, you know, I'm I'm the kind of kid that started playing rugby without knowing what rugby was. Yeah. Um, so I didn't even know that there was a women's team. I didn't know there was World Cups. I didn't know that anything existed outside of my little school team. Um, but when I got to maybe U19, our Quebec team, our Quebec senior women's team was um, very, very good. And there was like some great athletes uh, including, including, well, Jill Florence, um, that were actually playing with me at the time and like on the same team and just the presence that, um, that she was, it was like everybody else around her was shining a little bit brighter and, um, she was just a workhorse. And like the fact that she was who she was and still like, showed up and trained and and was just like doing everything harder and with more like consistency and never like selfish i think she was she was one of the players that i definitely looked up to um especially when i started moving into um the forwards because i was a back back then but when i moved into the forwards i like i don't know i looked at her and i was just like trying to mimic <laughs> what she was doing although we're very different players <laughs> so um you kind of mentioned at the beginning of that answer uh not really necessarily knowing much about say like um the, say the women's national team or maybe like a pathway that you can take like a career in rugby um, i don't think i said much i said absolutely nothing <laughs> oh absolutely yes, absolutely nothing um so i guess my question is off of that um do you think that that is has been changing over time over like the course of uh, of your career now that especially like given uh, say recent success of you know the sevens team winning a gold medal or winning a bronze medal at the olympics gold medal pan am games um some of those, that success and obviously like you know the the canadian uh the, the 15 side has been uh uh like you know had a pretty big impact at the world cup this year in the past has won uh you were part of a silver medal winning team um in 2014 as well it's like do you think that is kind of translating to uh, more uh, young women kind of looking at um, exploring like, you know, the Canadian national team as a, as a pathway for a, for a rugby career. I would say so, because I think there was two turning points. Like in 2014, it was a big turning point for how the game existed in Canada and uh, 2016 as well. Like it was just, the game was like becoming so much bigger and it, that's kind of what my highlight of 2016 is, is like coming back home and seeing that rugby was in every single person's mm -hmm. TV. So like the kids knew what rugby was, the parents, the like everyone had an idea of what rugby was at that point. And I think that was like, that's something that we um, as like young Canadian kids that do sports, we didn't really have access to. So I think those two points would like were where the game changed um 
for like the visibility side of things, I would say. Hopefully it's uh, still continuing now with uh, Canada's efforts um, in New Zealand. Uh, just want to go back because you also mentioned um, that you were with the U19s um, and that was your first instance, I believe, of playing for Rugby Canada. So I know now that it's uh, Rugby Canada is now based in BC on Vancouver Island. What was it like when you were with the U19? Um, I really didn't have great tours with the U19s, um, through the selection camp, I got injured, like my first injury, you know, when you kind of blow your ankle and it's the first time and like, it's kind of the end of the world. That's, that's what happened to me at U19. Um, and somehow like I still made tour later on and, um, we went to, uh, Colorado and I don't think the altitude sit well with me or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, those like moments, they should have been like great moments for me, but I think they were like, they were character builders in a way. Um, like I, I just, I, after that, I was, um, I didn't know what was going to happen. It was just like, I kept playing rugby, but I, I didn't have like any hopes of, um, getting again like invited on the national team or anything um like reflecting back it's a learning experience but at the time you would have asked like little Karen how she felt and uh, she was pretty uh, disappointed with how how she did so that's kind of how they went <laughs> was was there a moment that that mindset kind of changed when you realized like you can play for whether it's sevens or fifteens, you can play on a national team and then have a not not only play but have a huge impact going forward as well. Um, it was never, after, like it it really never was my focus. Hmm. Um, like from there and and before and after, it was just for me. It was always like showing up to the next thing and it's if it's bigger it's bigger and if it's the same thing then it's the same thing and I just kept going at the sport and and kind of loving it and going back to the sport and loving it and um when I got invited to uh, join like a, a top 50 camp so it's like a wider um wider group and it was a combined sevens and 15s and and then it kind of went um, okay, then you can come to like this selection, which was NACRA, had the weirdest injury there and uh, came back. I was working at the time, so I, I, I never really went, um, oh, I can play to the like on the national team. All I, all I ever said was like, I can't stop playing because I still love it. So mm -hmm. I kept playing provincial, I kept playing club, I kept playing like university and, and all of that. And even when university finished, I just kept going um and i think at some point like one coach decided like let's give her a shot and um and when that happened i was like if i don't try it then i'll regret so let's go but i fully understand that so with your provincial rugby record um you were also have been uh the captain of team quebec at the national women's league championship was this your first instance of being uh the captain of your provincial team and what did can you describe what that was like 
It was my first instance of being the captain of the provincial team. Um, I had had a year of captaining the um, university team, uh, but it was, you know how it's different. Like yeah. provincial, there is a wide, um, wider range of athletes. And, and um, I would say that that year I really leaned on, on the people that were uh, around me. We had like a few challenges around with the team. And I remember like turning my head to uh, one of the, to, to one of the main, uh, the, one of the girls that had been there like for a long time. And I just turned around and I, my eyes were probably like, I don't know, like dear eyes, like, please say something. I have no idea how to respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully she did. So Susie, hi. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I would say that like, I, I remember being named captain, but I don't remember taking the whole leadership at all. Um, there's there's people okay. that are just leader, whether you name them or not. So I, I think I uh, I relied on on them. <laughs> oh, fair enough. It's always good to have a good uh, leadership network to help you out and uh, support you. I think that's really important. Very um, needed. Um, so in 2012, you decided to leave your job and your family behind to travel to British Columbia and to try out for the Canada Sevens team. Now, as someone else who's also traveled a long distance away from their previous job and family, I understand, although obviously with something as big as playing for Sevens and for representing Canada, what was the or the factors that gave you the drive to make such a bold decision? I think it's the only the only factor at that point was like fear of regret. I had no idea what was going to happen. I had kind of tasted working and I realized that it was although it was OK, it was going to get repetitive. And I was just like, if I don't go, I'll never know where I would have gone and what would have happened. And I just didn't want to regret that kind of decision. So I decided to pack my apartment in the car and drive away. And it's a long drive. <laughs> mm -hmm. any, any highlights from the road trip to, to get out to Langford? You have to take a boat eventually too, right? That's how far the drive is. We yeah. we did take a boat. We went through Port Angeles for some reason. And uh it was me and Mag, Magali. And mm -hmm. uh we drove like five hour shift, nonstop fifty hours, and uh we crashed on the boat. But <laughs> you, you drove it straight and like just you didn't stop at all. Wow, that's that, yeah. that was Intense. an unreal nap on that boat. It was a good nap. <laughs> I don't remember the boat ride. <laughs> that's 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 fair. Un, very un. Just remember getting on, sleep, wake up. Oh, got to drive off now. I don't remember getting on. <laughs> <laughs> she was she was already asleep by that point. Oh. Actually, yeah. Um, oh boy, slept through all of BC and then yeah, just it was... up and, uh, yeah, went from Calgary to uh, Langford <laughs> without knowing. Um, so we'll stick with sevens for a minute and then we'll go to the 15s in the most recent World Cup. But um, obviously you've have a, you know, pretty uh, decorated 
career going uh pan am games gold medal a bronze medal at the olympics um rugby world cup appearances um when you kind of look at all you've accomplished in sevens is there something that kind of sticks out to you a lot maybe more than others or like a favorite memory of uh or a favorite tournament that you've uh, taken part in um the one of my good memories is actually hong kong sevens yeah. and uh, it was in my first well my whole like first year was like it was a blur like i just went at it with i had no expectations i came there i knew all the names of the people that were there i knew they were all better than me and and somehow i still got a chance to like make the tournaments and and get game time and like in in that first year and then i ended up in hong kong sevens which isn't a it wasn't a world series event it was an invitational but you're in okay. hong kong and then you you play and we end up in the final and uh, it's that that moment in that game and i think we win the final because jizz landry gets like an unreal game and she scores all the tries and but we just had like such a great atmosphere um if anyone has ever seen hong kong sevens like it's full of canadian uh flags in the stands and it's it's completely it's something different so i think that's one of the early memories of of playing on the national team of something that i'm like wow this is big yeah uh landry has an unreal game and scores all the tries sums up about 97 canadian <laughs> sevens team matches i think it's I would say so. Uh, yeah. So, like, what, what was it like, uh, kind of uh, playing with her? Because obviously, you know, she carved out a pretty unreal career for herself too, and you got the, you know, pretty much the best seat in the house for that the entire run. Yeah, I think she's like she's a special player. Like, she just makes magic. Like, she will catch someone off, like one millimeter, and she's she's gone. And um, I think her best move is like to be at the right place at the right time and do the right thing. So it's a pretty good move when you play rugby. <laughs> <laughs> she just like, yeah, she's like, you can, you can look at highlights of her tries and there's some of those that like, she, she had no right to, to score. <laughs> um, <laughs> she still did. The best tries. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So no, she's, and, and as a player, as a leader, like she's, she's got such a strong, um, like she's got such a strong, I would say, emotional intelligence. She can read the vibe of of a player, vibe of a room, and and really flip it to what it needs to be. Um, so yeah, unreal player, unreal person. With some of that success, is there any like specific memories from like the Pan Am Games being obviously a massive international tournament and one that happened on Canadian soil as well? It was it was very special for me because my dad made the trip to come and watch. So yeah. and like he was like obviously we come from Quebec. So like he made the drive and um he had he had been battling cancer, he still is. Um so it was very special to have him be able to be in the stands and and we really enjoyed it together and like we had such a good tournament. It it was just fun. It was fun rugby. Um people like people were there to to enjoy their time and and cheer and watch and 
Um, we had a good time with the men's team, which wasn't always happening at the time. Now it's much better, but like at the time it was like, it was special to be able to like really cheer them on and they were cheering us on. So it, it was, um, it was a special moment for myself as, as a person. Um, but also for us as a team, it, it was unreal. It was fun. Did that tournament and I guess the special feeling around that help build towards the Rio Olympics and the following year, um, obviously having some success at home. And so you just said it was a really special feeling that you had at that tournament Did that kind of help push you guys forward into what eventually became a bronze medal and, uh, at the Rio Olympics. It did in a way that we really treated it as um, a prep for the Olympics. So mm-hmm. we- organize the tournament the exact same way that we were going to organize ourselves at the Olympics the next year, although it's a different place, different setup and everything. Um, but it, it prepped us for what was uh, kind of going to be the expectation. And although the, um, the pressure is, is lower at the Pan Am games because it's at home and because we have like our friends and our family, it, it created a different kind of pressure. So it was really interesting to um, to feel that and to experience that, and just the fact that it's a it's a multi sport event um, to have that like it that crazy time in the village where you see all the athletes and it, it's it's awesome to to see that it's awesome to live that, but it we know it was like a, a lower scale of what was going to be um, the next big show, so I think it did prep us well. And if I remember, like the day after the Pan Am Games, we um, got on the plane and we went down to Rio to like do the kind of the sightseeing of everything that's going to be there, um, that was going to be there. And uh, so it was really tied up. Um, The two tournaments were really uh, tied to each other. So in saying you did like the sightseeing of like Rio, did like, is that, did you guys, I guess, like do that like a year in advance to kind of like get it? out of the system or is there there's like a, any like special reasons to go to it like i guess i've never really thought about it before but i guess like olympic athletes are probably too locked in to really do much like touring and enjoying whichever country that the turn that the the games are being held in so it's it's um different from one olympic to the other and and i think it's different for um each country or um event that they are competing in but for us we knew that the the rugby tournament was going to be at the beginning of the olympics um we did the sightseeing early on so we could exactly like you said like get it out of our system like we're not going to rio to um go uh climb the sugar loaf and and go see the statue and all that all of that it was really um about going there to uh to perform and we did have time after our event to stay in the village and and kind of enjoy um, enjoy the city, enjoy um, the Olympics itself. Um, but for us, it was important that we could get in and already be ready to um, to compete and to focus. Mm-hmm. And it, it was about creating that bubble. And I think like we did that really well because when we were on the field and when we were um, had the games, um, it felt like another tournament. It felt like one of the World Series almost. Like it was the same field, same line, same teams. Um, so I would say that there's not like, we we really did well into like creating that bubble. It was only when we burst that bubble that we realized that, 
oh my God, like we're at the Olympics and everybody watched us and it's like, it's actually awesome. I was just saying, you kind of just said like everybody watched us as in past. So does that mean like it, like the bubble didn't really burst until after you guys won a bronze medal then? Definitely. I had no idea. Like it, the only time that I felt a different pressure would be a quarterfinal. Just because it's a, it's a knockout game at the Olympics? And it, like, it's a knockout, of, like, like medal or no, it's... It's a game where there's like a ton of pressure. And if you miss that one like group of 14 minutes, then yeah. Yeah. you're kind of out and, yeah. and you don't achieve what you, you came to achieve. So there I would say that I really felt that pressure. So I'm at the um, Rio tournament itself. So uh, obviously this is the first Olympics uh, sevens competition to take place and um, you are placed in a group with uh, placed in a group with the hosts. You get um, Brazil. You're also with Japan and Great Britain. Um, and during that group stage, your only loss comes against Great Britain themselves. And then um, you know make your way through the quarterfinals, beating France, uh, losing to eventual winners Australia in the semi-final, and then realize that you're playing Great Britain again. Uh, for that bronze medal match. Um, I don't know if you uh, picked up on any of like uh, media or any, um, you know, like sporting uh, hoodoo or something, but obviously it's uh, things like, oh, you lost to this team in the group stage. Are you going to, you know, were you uh, going into that game? Like, we're going to put that all behind us. We're going to show them that, you know, we're here for a medal. And if they're not going to come in, then we're going to take it from them. And um, and also being uh, the first try scorer in that game on your way to that bronze medal. I, I would go back to like after we lost to Australia, there is like a moment where it's not just one game that you lose. It's like the whole dream that goes down. Yeah. And. And we knew we hadn't played like our best rugby yet at that tournament, like we just walked off the game and it was just like everybody was in a disaster mode mm -hmm. and i go back to jizz again because that's the only thing that really that i really remember from those two hours is that she kind of grouped us as we walked uh, off the field and she told us like there's a team that's gonna live exactly the same disappointment that we're currently uh, experiencing and in two hours we're playing against them and we need to come out better than them mm -hmm. and it was kind of for me it was like the the shifting moment of like it was like okay we're taking like the cool down the 20 minutes to live our little emotion and everybody was a bit different like there was rage there was like tears there was like silence there was people puking like it was it was intense emotions that kind of came through the system of, of every individual, but like, I think that's, that's how we came back out of the tunnel. We, we, to me, that's, that's the moment that kind of made us like stick together. And like the first like few minutes of that game against, um, uh, against the UK were like, we don't touch the ball yet, but like, we're so, strong in defense and we're so connected that it feels like the shift you, you can feel it and and it was awesome and obviously it's easier to say now 
but <laughs> I, we were like, okay, we're winning this. There's no way we're not taking that. Yeah. That seems like quite the, like, I, I guess from like a, a fan, like watching it, what you seeing, what you just described, like that seems like a pretty wild, like emotional swing to go through in essentially two hours. Right. Like you have the, uh, like the devastation, I guess, of what you're saying, like uh, you said, like the dream of winning a gold medal is is gone. But then, um, have to figure out. I guess uh, Landry had a speech in in the room to get everybody kind of back together. But then it's like when you see at the end of the game and you won a bronze medal, everybody looks like the happiest they've ever been in their life. Um, so that's kind of that just seems like a very like I, like I don't know. I guess it's something I've never really thought of before, but it seems like a very with the way sevens is structured. It's like that's a wild range of emotions to go through in like two hours. Yeah, mm. I I can I can confirm that it's it's pretty intense. Just <laughs> <laughs> I I guess like I don't know like playing like fifteens and being in like other tournaments and stuff. Like does that it, is it easier to go through that in two hours or have to like let that sit for like a week until you get to play again? That's a very good question. I really never thought about that. Um, I think that's a good question. <laughs> I knew is we it kept Derek around in two for hours or is it easier in a week? Um, I think in, what matters is how the team chooses to get on with the next thing or not. And I would say that that probably has something to do more with the experience within the team than, um, and, and the leadership within the team than the, like the time frame because, whether it's in at the Olympics and it takes two hours or whether it's at the world cup and, and you have to like kind of shift your mindset to something else. Uh, like it, it just depends of the group itself more than the time that you have. I think. Yeah, for sure. And I guess we'll, uh, we'll go from, I guess I actually have one more. What's it like sitting, standing on an Olympic podium? <laughs> at the end i don't know i've never been able to ask an olympian it just seems like i just it seems like it would be really cool it, it, it's pretty cool and um at the same time it's pretty awkward <laughs> oh it's yeah yeah because you're standing there waiting everyone gets the medal and then you know a flowers or a plushie I yeah, and a then thing. you have to wait for the silver medalists and gold medalists to do it. So you're just standing there for like 20 minutes going like, goodness, hurry up guys. Come on. Yeah. Got celebrating to do. Okay? And it's like, you know, when you have to like, you have to do something like at the same time and like, okay, we yeah. get on the podium and then we lift our hands and like, <laughs> it's just, it's just weird. <laughs> I was actually at the Commonwealth games um, this year in Birmingham and it was the, we're, and I was saying to my um, brother, it's like, oh, let's stay for the medal ceremony because people leave as soon as the final whistle is. And, you know, we'll see the medals and it's the right thing to do. And I think we got to um, halfway through the bronze. So all the bronze medalists had gotten their medals. And then they were like, now we're going to do it again for all these flower celebrations. And I'm like, 
we have to leave now. Otherwise, we're going to be here for another hour. (laughs) But obviously, you can't do that. You just have to stand there. And, you know, obviously, huge occasion. But yeah, I can imagine it being really awkward as well. It's almost like you're you're standing on a podium and it's 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 a cool experience. But the only thing you want to do is go see your family that you can like yes. and you can you can see them and you know they're there and like you have like almost like eye contact in in the stands with them. But that's the only thing you want to do. Like you're there and you're taking pictures and it's all it's all cool. But all you want to do is like go hug like your mom and dad and 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 like that's yeah. the only thing you're thinking about. Is it also weird that you have to, you've had your bronze medal match, you've won it, you're celebrating with your teammates, and then you're told, okay, you're going to have to wait like 15 minutes or however long it is for the gold medal match, and then you guys have to come back and celebrate it all again? Well, that part's actually great because you have time to shower. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah, that's uh, there's benefits benefits to the bronze medal. Yeah. Um, Well, to wrap up sevens, what's your favorite world sevens World Series stop? Uh, world Series Cape Town. Why? Ah, uh, it's just like between uh, Rio and Cape Town. It's two of the most beautiful places I've been like ever, and I've traveled quite a bit, and it was just unreal. Like the the country, the people. The countries, like both countries are awesome and very special place. Just too beautiful, too friendly, too. I really enjoyed those two places. So I guess we'll transition to some uh, some 15s and uh, the World Cup. But um, kind of as we're doing that, you've been a player that over your career, you've kind of done a sevens tournament and it'll go go play uh, in a 15s tournament and have kind of gone back and forth a lot. Um, Is that a difficult transition going from the sevens game to the 15s game and back and forth um, that frequently? Cause obviously there's, there's a lot of similarities, but some of the the game and like tactically and um, things like that does seem like there's, there's, there are big differences between the two sometimes. I think um, the harder parts are, for me, like going back and forth to the, between the game is not too hard. And, and the more you do it, the better you become at transitioning. Like there's always like a few moments mm-hmm. that you go, oh, what am I doing? It's not the right call. Whoopsie. But aside from that, like it's it's not too bad. It's more like the the people that you transition towards when you don't know them that's where like you you struggle a little bit to find your chemistry within within the group and like on the field and at the beginning it was almost easier because there was so many of us that were transitioning back and forth and later on it um like for a while I was kind of the only one that um not the only one but almost the only one who chose to um to go back and forth and then you have like uh, new rookies and and they become like more experienced through through time but when when you don't have that chemistry and you have to build it like kind of in a rush for um for a big event or for a big game that that's coming up that's that's mostly like where i find uh i find it a little bit more difficult and to be fair like as long as kelly was with me it was super easy to go back and forth <laughs> she would tell me what to do <laughs> There you go. That yeah, always, helps, always helps to have uh, good teammates. Good teammates make there the chance. Absolutely. 
So your first 15s World Cup um, was taking place in France and obviously being bilingual, I'm sure uh, that helped significantly. Um, but also uh, what probably didn't help too much was eliminating the hosts in the semi-final. Uh, I think that was because France have like a record of, I think they've only made the final once and they, it was a case of, I remember French media from what I could gather from the Google translates at the time was saying like, this is our closest chance to beating and, you know, getting to the final. And then Canada got in the way of that. Uh, so that must have been uh, fun for you. But um, also, um, unfortunately, falling in the final two eventual winners, uh, England. But what were some of your personal highlights from uh, your first uh, 15s Rugby World Cup? Uh, it's that game against France in, in the stadium that's like the biggest highlight of my um, rugby career, you know? Like it's it was just unreal. Everybody was like, there was like about 100 Canadian in that stadium and 20,000 French people. Mm. And um, it was, it it felt so intense the whole game. And we played with such like belief. And I mean, if you look at the game, like we left tries like left, right, and center on the field. Like we didn't we didn't score as many points as we we could have or should have. But um at that stage in in the game and how the game was evolving, it it was so um unexpected for us to be there, although we believe like the rest of the world was completely dismissing um the Canadian team. And um yeah, I I just remember that game. I remember those final minutes. Um, and uh, I would go back to that day. If there's one day that I could relive in my rugby career, it would be that that one day. I got booed by about 20,000 people because <laughs> I tried to charge a kick early. And then <laughs> I thought they were taking my soul. <laughs> <laughs> it was like directed yeah. at me. Yeah. Well, it's it's got to be worse when you understand all the insults in French that have been thrown your way, I can imagine. Hey. They, they they only boo if you're playing well. That's 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 the thing. That's a compliment, really, from sports fans around the world. Nobody nobody boos a player that's not playing well. So that's uh, the, you got to take that as a compliment. I think there's that. There's that. <laughs> it was special too because um, my husband is French, um, so it was special because it was like his country. Uh, okay. <laughs> so obviously he was cheering for us, um, but it was like. We had been together for two years at that time, so it was like playing in his home was was quite special. I think I've seen a photo of him uh, in the stands in a maple leaf onesie with a. Can it, was that at that game or that was at the Olympics? But yes, that's uh, okay. my husband and my brother. <laughs> oh, wonderful! Wonderful. Yeah. Everybody remind, uh, rem remembers him. <laughs> it's tough to forget the onesie. It's it's in, it gets seared into your brain whether you like it or not. I think. Yeah. All right. Um, still so has it. He still, still has, has it. it? Oh. Is it? Did he bring it to New Zealand? Did he wear it in New Zealand? 
I think he brought it, but he didn't wear it. <laughs> he only came for one game in New Zealand. He came for 24 hours. So yeah. I, I don't think he was feeling the onesie after uh, 24 hours of uh, flying. It, it yeah. probably would have been comfy on that like nice grassy hill they had at the one end of yeah. the stadium there. <laughs> All right. Before we get to New Zealand, um, I just want to mention that uh, the – so World Rugby decide that they're going to change the format of the uh, then Women's Rugby World Cup and it's now going to be, you know, avoiding conflict with men's. It's now going to be in 2017. So instead of having four years of preparation, it's now three years. Um, you get into your second game and uh, you get injured, but you still continue on. Unfortunately, because of the way the grouping stages work canada finishes fifth in the rankings and then finishes fifth overall um the question i have is especially getting injured in your second match and then continuing to play on for i believe it was three more at the time how do you develop that level of determination to keep pushing through that pain i think the pain itself um wasn't the problem until like until you bend your knee which happens but it's like when you're in the game like you almost don't really think about it um and like it was more like after that game against New Zealand when we knew that we weren't going through um to the 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 medal rounds um at that point I had like my knee was um, pretty much not gone, but like my meniscus was gone and um, I broke my nose in that game as well. And like, I, I was just so sad. And um, I was sad because I knew what was, what kind of what was at stake in terms of like the supports of the women's game and, and everything. And, there's like there is a moment where i thought like like do i keep going like my nose is broken my knees bunkers like i'm not here to not win a medal yet i can't do that like i i had burnt my boat and that's why i say like it is it easier in two hours than it is in a week mm. i don't know um but to turn that around and and come back and to like find something to uh, to fight for and find something to play um to play for uh it really took like the group and and that was kind of led my my decision to keep going um because i i thought like maybe i just stop this i get surgery and i i get it over with or um or i keep going and and i take the risk of whatever can happen and I'm really, really glad that I, I chose to play um, because it turned something that was going to be so sad into um, two games that we played and we have like all the reasons to be like really proud of. Um, we, we played for each other. We played for the people in the stands. We played for like a, a rugby that was more free and that was more us at the time. So I think had I not done that, I, I would have been very disappointed with the 2017 World Cup. And 
even if the result isn't what we we wanted, I think um, every person on that team is is still very very proud of of what we did and how we showed up. And um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it was about my teammates. It was about like the people that I I chose to uh, to train with and to show up with. And um, that's kind of where I my heart went and my body just had to follow. Quite impressive. And it did. It followed. It, it was all right. Yeah. <laughs> it all works out in the end. That's all good. <laughs> so, um, we got one more World Cup that we got to talk about. But before you played at this World Cup, you got to play for the Barbarians at Twickenham. And since you're the first Barbarian, I think, that we've had on this podcast, I'm definitely asking you about what's it like to play for the Barbarians. It's the best rugby tour you've ever been part of. <laughs> are, are you allowed to talk about why, or is it like you, do we have to like, like we? You have to be you have to yeah. be a barbarian to know. I was gonna say, how much of this, the next part of the podcast do I have to just put a really large beeping sound across <laughs> to get a couple stories out of you here? There, there's we'll redact all but... names. We'll remove all identity. Anything yeah, no. incriminating, it's gone. <laughs> I think we we were like a, I wouldn't say a quiet group, but we were a decent group <laughs> um, in in most ways. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of fun to be had on 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 that kind of tour. But I think that the time, like usually, like you kind of spend the first day like trying to figure out each other, and like you have that little like circle where you talk about your story. But we did that part like I don't know three days in after we've like we've had like exactly that like three four days together um just knowing each other and i i we had those moments of like talking through through that circle of making connections and it was just such an intense and inspiring and and like the the connection that we did in that one week i feel like they're gonna last like all of our life it's hmm. it's so cool you just walk into a room and and the first thing that you're trying to do is make friends with kind of everyone um and that kind of gets you to the field where you you just try to do what's like what you're best at and everybody else is doing the same and and it's about like kind of trusting each other and you you can create what that kind of weird chemistry that works and even though you don't know people, but you've just made those like friends for life and you play on the field with them. And yeah, no, it's, I, I would go back to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Barbarians. If you're still, if you're uh, need players for the next tour, you know, uh, you know where to look. Um, I will train. <laughs> you will, uh, Perfect. There. And, and um, it's special too, because we um, actually, we, it was like myself and Laura, uh, Laura Russell, um, and then there was like Rocky and Katie McLean, who we we played against each other at the World Cup, and mm. uh, and like myself and Katie, we actually played against each other at the Olympics as well, mm. and we just kept like bumping into each other everywhere, and then <laughs> we were on the same team. 
so and she was like yeah i remember that game at the olympics and i'm like okay do you want to trade your medal for the world cup and she's like yeah, no. <laughs> so it was kind of cool but to play with that kind of quality like super high quality player um that you've you've tried to like figure out their brain for like almost like not a decade but almost and and then you end up like playing with them so you know what they're gonna do and and you can figure that like that chemistry that's so important you can you can have it right there and then and uh it was katie katie's last game and um she played absolutely unreal she was so so good um and it was just a really really fun rugby match and also the men's game got canceled before us <laughs> right right yeah they're, yeah they're, yeah they're, we, they're, we remember that one yeah shenanigans over there, yeah. <laughs> so that happened and then we we didn't know at 11 o'clock we didn't know what time we were going to play at and then next thing you know we're playing like three hours early so we're heading to the stadium in ubers so we're all like <laughs> a bunch of barbas in ubers trying, oh, wow. like, going to a game and the people that are walking to the stadium like they still don't know that the men's oh, game is wow. canceled yeah oh no that was that was quite the, the news story when that dropped yeah it was so it was bunkers and and you could see like when we ended up like we had like a a play that was like we called it USA because it was a football play. And when we started that play and it looked like very much barbarians, the whole stadium like erupted before we did anything, before the ball was even tapped. <laughs> and it felt like they were like, all right, we're here. This this is what it should be. <laughs> so yeah, that was yeah. That was Maybe cool. that's the second place I would go back in time. <laughs> Game against France. Yeah, playing for the Barbarians. Yeah. There you go. That's uh well, it sounds just about as much fun as everybody advertises it to be. So uh, yeah. glad you uh, enjoyed that time. It really is. <laughs> um, so the the World Cup uh just happened. Um, you guys went undefeated through the group stage, uh, beat the US in the quarterfinals, played lost to England, but probably one of the funner games I've enjoyed watching as a Canadian rugby fan, despite the loss. Um, what are just your overall thoughts on the tournament and uh, just, I guess, uh, how, how you guys did um, in New Zealand this a couple months or a month ago? I think if you, if you take out the last like week, um, everybody's super proud of what we did, how we did it. Like we really got together it was about like what five, six months before the World Cup, like kind of trying to um to to put all the pieces that um that were missing. We kind of centralized over the summer to do that. And we worked like everybody worked really, really hard. Um, staff players, every like everyone really gave their everything at that World Cup, uh, including the the players that didn't make it, like just the the amount of effort that was put into this group was immense and when we i guess when we played against england like i remember coming out of that game like frustrated but still proud mm. and um like if they have to score the best try of the year to beat us yeah. 
like there's at least that and i know we're gonna see that try over and over and over again for like <laughs> about three decades um but it, it said something about like how we were successful at, as uh, at making a team of good athletes into a good rugby team and um like we almost like self did that with and i'm including like the group that like the whole group that was there so i think we're really really proud we we were able to send a message that needed to be sent um like the the last game like i don't know what there is but there's there's always like a big change in the last before the last game of any big tournament there's always like a coach that goes like okay we're we're doing things different and not to say that that's what happened, but, um, and like there was a bit of sickness that, that kind of came around the team as well. So like things, sometimes like you show up to a game and sometimes you don't. And, and we're really like, everybody's super disappointed of how we finished the tournament. Um, and we're still like, everybody's, I, I would say I'm myself, I'm processing that, um, and I'm kind of coming to the ex like the acceptance of both being proud of what we did and both being disappointed of of what we did or didn't do. So, yeah, yeah it maybe it sounds a little bit depressing in a way, but I think we we did something great and and we could have done something a little bit greater, but it just wasn't meant to be for us that time. And um, yeah, that's. That's kind of that story. Well, I'll have to, I know World Rugby gave um, Abby Dow's try in that corner as World Try of the Year. Personally, I think uh, one of the tries of the years happened earlier in the game in that exact same corner when you collected uh, the kick ahead and dotted it down, which is also the exact similar function to what happened in the second game against the US as well. And... I think it really spoke to the um, spirit of the Canadian team in that you're going up against the world number ones. At this point, um, England have already scored two tries. Uh, some people, as I know, especially in British media, have already written Canada off because they're the only team in the final four that isn't a fully professional outfit. And then, boom you split apart uh, world number ones. And just when everything looks down, you get a try. And sure enough, before um, the halftime whistle blows, there's another try, you're straight back into the game. I thought that was, like Derek said, it was one of the more fun games to watch, even if the end result didn't go your way. I thought that was just incredible. It was pretty fun to uh, to do that too. <laughs> And we talked to uh, Juji and I, cause we, we played together uh, in France as well. And like, we come from the same province and everything. And, and she was like, Oh, it was good. I heard you. Uh, I heard when you said kick and I was like, I didn't say kick. I said, Juji. It was a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> she was like, I heard you. And I was like, I said nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, it's good that the uh, the message got across either way, though. That's yeah. that's all that's important. It doesn't matter what words are actually said as long as 
the uh, mm. the message comes across too. See, because that's yeah. what I was because it's like you had a similar try against the USA earlier with an Allery kick, and I was like, "What well, is that's like a set play that you guys go to?" Or Again, it's just, uh, not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> not my idea. <laughs> uh, hey, I mean, it, it works out. It works out though. Yeah. Um, when Alyssa kicks came through, I was like, "Oh shit, it's going to be blocked." Oh wait, it's not blocked. Get on your horse. <laughs> You just go into sevens mode then, and it's like fastest feet gets the try, and yeah, yeah, I, I just go go get that ball. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I think um, a lot of the sediment back home, or at least when on Twitter, and um, the immediate reaction to the game was kind of a lot of, I guess, like you know, similar to what you just said, where there's a lot of like a lot of fans uh, back home, incredibly proud of what the team has accomplished. Um, and, but I, I, and with, obviously there was a lot of really talented players on this team. I mean, Sophie de Goody led the tournament in a handful of really key categories like carries and, um, uh, Totosi had, um, uh, led the tournament in tries almost the entire way through it. Um, what can you just kind of say about the, uh, your teammates and the, like maybe, uh, any highlighted individual performances that you can kind of maybe like proudly look back on as, uh, you know, some, some star players from, from this squad going forward. It was pretty awesome because, like, for like all the pool stages, we were like putting Tatosi and Porsche's faces beside each other, and it was like having <laughs> Emily at the top of the scoring board. It was pretty awesome. Um, I think it said a lot of like the work of of the forward pack. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of people that had um, obviously like. Um, Star Waltz performance, um, one of which was to me wasn't really talked about. And like Paige, I thought Paige Ferries on the on the left wing had yeah. a phenomenal tournament. She was always overlooked by the like by the media and such, but she just had such a strong um, performance that um, it's worth mentioning because like you, you can hear, like you can see the big names, you can see the big carries, but there's a lot of people that that really um had like really really good uh good moments good uh impacts uh like you you look at how like uh some like our second row like the the way that our five second row just like showed up and and did the work and then came into the second half and made like all the crucial like hits that that like tyson's coming through like at pace it, it was just there's a lot of people that that showed up with um, with real good game, and um, but one of the maybe the biggest one um, that has been mentioned uh, is to me is uh, Justine um, yeah. because uh, she came in, she was our second number two, uh, number nine, sorry, and then um, just before the World Cup. Uh, started our th uh, third number nine or like our backup number nine um, ended up injuring her knee. Um, she was obviously like a 10, but she could slot in at nine and then two games in, then our first number nine goes down and really we weren't ready for that kind of uh, damage to happen um, within the team. And, and she just took on like the role of playing 80 minutes back to back to back to yeah. back um 
And I think that's, that's crazy as like for, for her position, it's not supposed to happen. Um, and I think she just did that with so much confidence and so much like quality of play. And like, it's her first World Cup. Um, and like, she's supposed to have a role and she just like looked at the big shoes and stepped right in them. And, and it's just awesome to, um, it was well needed for the team. Like if she hadn't been able to do that, like we wouldn't be here to talk about how a great World Cup it was. <laughs> so um, I would say that's that's my uh, my player of the tournament. Yeah, she had an uh, absolutely unreal tournament. And the one other thing I think I really wanted to ask you about, um, you know, one of the things that kind of, especially at the conclusion of the semifinal game with England, um, Sophie de Goody had like a post-match press conference where, uh, you know, she was talking about like, I, um, I'm kind of paraphrase what she said, but it was something along the lines of like, imagine what this team could do with like more games, more resources. Um, and I was just, and uh, Kevin Ruay later echoed those same statements and it got brought up a couple of times um, toward the end of the, uh, the World Cup as well. Um, just wondering if you could talk to like, what you think the like more games, more resources, uh, what that, I guess what that kind of means to you and what you think maybe the Canadian women's team needs going forward in order to, uh, you know, to uh, continue to advance. I think we need, we do need more games. We need more, um, more strings of games. Um, but because we did have like two games here and there and one game here and one game there, but we never had like a, like a six nations kind of tournament we right. never had like game after game after game maybe a break game 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 and i think that's um that's where you see like all the chemistry the improvement that really happened um for the other team yes they have like the resources to um to have camps like all the time yes they're paid to uh to play for their national team um there's all of those resources that are available to them and 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 we're not necessarily asking to become exactly like them but i think we need world rugby to allow um more game into our own calendar and and to start just like seeing canadian rugby as important on um on the women's side because it doesn't feel like we're existing in in their world. Um, within Rugby Canada, we're uh, we're now like feeling like we're more treated equally. Um, but at at the World Rugby level, it still feel like we don't exist because we're somehow ranked as a not not such a strong nation, which is bullshit. And um, I think that's what I would like to see. I want them to like involve in in the women's game but i want them to involve in in different nations the same way that they would think about involve like they would think about um putting money towards like a fijian men's side or uh like a competition like a pro competition somewhere else for like on the men's side like i want them to do that for us uh, in canada we know that rugby canada doesn't really have like the resources um the amount of resources that we would really need to 
be able to have that league in in Canada and the US. We, like we can't just rely on Rugby Canada to do all of that. We need um, we need World Rugby to want us to remain good as we transition towards uh, the pro era because otherwise we're like there's no way that we can do it on our own and they're probably like they will benefit from us being good as well so i think that's where my uh, my mind goes but it's uh it feels like we're we're at the crossroads right now yeah it, some developments have been made for like future plan there's the announced it was the day after the World Cup was delayed to 2022. It was announced that the WXV is coming along, which includes yeah. now the Pacific Four Series. The 2025 World Cup in England is going to expand to 16 teams. Fortunately, yeah. Canada, because of your efforts and your team efforts, you've already qualified for uh, 2025. So that's wonderful. But yeah, it does. Like we've been talking about at the moment, it just seems that it's England, France, New Zealand are the teams that have the resources and the availability to have a professional women's environment. And, you know, it seems to be that probably by 2025, the rest of the Six Nations are going to have um, professional setups. Uh, Australia is probably going to do so as well. And, you know, it seems in the same way that MLR is pushing for the men's uh, 15s in the United States and Canada. It's going to be amazing to see what unfolds for the women's team. Maybe it's a domestic competition similar to MLR, and uh, maybe it's something different entirely. But yeah, I think this is going to be a great time for women's rugby but you're 100% right in the women uh, world rugby need to step up and show that you know women's rugby is profitable women's rugby is growing and I think even Brian Moore said whichever union capitalize on women's rugby first is going to be set forever yeah so yeah and like today so, I don't know if you saw but um Diana Matheson and Christine Sinclair have announced that they're uh, setting up a soccer uh, pro league in Canada. And, mm -hmm. and to see that happening, like I've, I've been saying that we need, we need a pro league to start in, in Canada and the U S and, and we need, we need to make it happen. And I've been saying that for about like seven, eight years now, but it does feel like we're going to have to retire and do it. Like it, Mm. It's not going to yeah. happen without, um, I think this generation of players, like just choosing to, um, choosing to move towards that and, and, and somehow like kind of making it, um, not just a dream, but like a project. And it's, it's a crazy project, but it's only a crazy project if, if people are are not invested in it, but I think there's a lot of Canadian that really want to see more women's rugby uh, in Canada. And currently, like all of our, um, like almost all of our best players are playing in France and and in uh, in England, and uh, some in New Zealand. So it's kind of terrifying what we're doing to our own leagues here uh, by depleting the the talent. 
and sending it away. So we need to like kind of bring those those players back home and and find them places to train and 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 become better and and get the next generation to be better as well. So um I'm really excited to think about that. But but seeing it happen with soccer, I'm like, okay, we we actually need to get like shift into like second second third gear and and get it moving. Yeah. Is that something that uh players have have been talking about then like create using the idea of like creating your own professional league in canada i'm definitely entertaining the idea um i talk about it to as many people as want to like as want to hear about it uh i'm not necessarily i don't know if i'm gonna have to be the person leading it but um i know i can't play and do that at the same time yeah. so <laughs> that's that's kind of where i'm at right now so um, what would you like to see a pro canadian women's rugby league look like like how many like what, what would kind of be like your ideal setup for like the first year or something so for me i think it goes with working with the states um yeah. because traveling that way is a lot cheaper than traveling east west um and we have like better concentration um of of quality and i think like we have good 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 quality athletes in toronto montreal quebec um and halifax so i think we could have like um probably if if you look only at the east side like we could have four uh four like canadian teams that have something like a premiership and the first year to me it's it's about like using the 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 club system and the university system to to create kind of a super um a, a real super league across um across Canada and like doing the same in the states and you you kind of want to build it like um gradually with the clubs that already exist um mm-hmm. and do the same obviously uh, out west and and then you start like going north south and then maybe you start crossing over but um, for me, it's more about before you think about like playing the um, like having a pro league in terms of like paying all of the players. For me, it's about having the pro setup where people train, uh, where people are supported, where like where you can have like those like um, centralized area where athletes are just like they're feeling like they can they can really have a team to train with and and a goal to train towards and and just like a, a quality pro athlete setup is is the first base and then you can start thinking about like having revenue and and because you need quality games to do that yeah and if there's a big discrepancy between one team and the other um then then it's harder to do that and for me where rugby canada could um exist is if we could have like access to um, contracts within Rugby Canada, then you could dispatch your players and allow, like, allow um, a lot those contracts to the people that are choosing to stay in Canada only. Mm. So you you would have an incentive for um, the athletes that are uh, playing pro elsewhere currently to just come back and play pro where where they belong, and hopefully we can grow like a a, a better league um, because like the the talent currently is there's good talent, but it doesn't have like the excellence to really challenge good to become great. Mm-hmm. 
So that's, yeah, that's how I see it. And I mean, I'm open to ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm like that. I'll be on Bay Street tomorrow finding as many investors as we can. So, yeah. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. no, um, I love, I personally, I love the idea. I mean, I think, yeah. um, like I said, I think if, if anything, the, uh, the past world cop shows like what you guys can do without the resources that you're talking about wanting to have and without maybe, um, as you said, a full-time professional setup, um, for the players. So, I mean, it's kind of, I think you're, as you mentioned, like the crossroad idea, I think part of that is just kind of imagine what would happen with, uh, with a little bit more. So I'm definitely, definitely yeah. in favor of the, plus it just means I get to watch more rugby in Canada. Like who could exactly saying no to this? Yeah. I think as well is that, there's also the fear of something similar has happened with the men's team. So when rugby turned professional in 95 and, you know, Canada was able to, the men's team was able to plug along and keep going until you get to 2015 and suddenly you're not winning any of the close games. And then 2019, you're only qualifying by the last bit. And now look at the men's 15s team. They can't even qualify for the Rugby World Cup. Contrast with the women who have already automatically qualified for their next World Cup. And you don't want to be saying in like 2045, this is where Canada women could have been. And we just like, well, it was too expensive at the time. Nonsense. And yeah, but no. We said that like at the, like the day after 2014, that's kind of where we had like a few meetings and and that's what we said and and i was in a room with like a bunch of people who were part of of uh, the community of rugby in in canada and i was like if we don't do that we're going to go back in time and in 10 years we're going to be in a, the exact same room trying to solve the exact same problem that we were talking about at that time how to solve um the problem that we have with the men's team so just like i was trying to like kind of raise a flag but it's it's hard to solve a problem that's in the future when you have so much problem in the present. So yeah. I think people just don't like we see it uh, and we still can't diverge the route yet. We will. We just that's the, I think the more voices, more I think well, obviously more people than ever watching. Uh, this World Cup in New Zealand and yeah, one of the biggest uh, names in rugby and social media, Squidge Rugby, was even uh, cheering for Canada throughout the tournament as well and he even said that the match against France more than the match against England proved why Canada needs to have a professional setup as soon as possible and you know, it's the same thing with what's going on with MLR at the moment, it's not going to fix every problem overnight. But if you do it now, then decades down the line, those future problems don't exist anymore. And yeah. you're not one worrying about this. Right. We're going to briefly step away from playing um, just to talk about a little bit of a few things outside of rugby. Um, and this is where we normally talk about like hobbies and interest. And I read somewhere that in 2017, after you came back from Ireland, you were uh, bobsledding. Is that correct? <laughs> so, how, so how did uh, how did you get involved in that? 
I mean, obviously, so, Canada winter sport it kind of answers itself. But you know, ju- you've just come back from a World Cup. Uh, you know, you've suffered a broken nose. Your knee is damaged, but you've been able to carry on through. What makes you think? You know what would be great at this point in time? <laughs> <laughs> Going down a hill very fast on ice. <laughs> Um, so after the Olympics in 2016, they were looking for, um, to like create a little bit of depth in, um, in their, um, break women, uh, I guess would be the, the, the good term. Um, so they gave a few athletes a call, um, people who look like kind of tall and fast at the same time. Uh, usually rugby players do good at, um, transitioning towards bobsled. So I got a message and I was like, yeah, let's give it a shot. So I went for like about a week. Um, that was just after the Olympics and I was going back to 15s, but I went for a week to train with the bobsled team and I kind of learned how to push and, um, went down the big hill. It's fun. It's absolutely (laughs) crazy. (laughs) So the bobsled teams had some success with rugby players. Heather Moist has a couple of gold medals to show for that. So, I mean, I guess the, their, their thought process makes sense anyways. Absolutely. It wasn't crazy. Uh, it, it, it was so, so fun. And I would say my first, actually, my the first time that I went down, my pilot was um, a bronze medalist from uh, the Olympics. So it was pretty cool to go down um, down the slide with him. Uh, but yeah, in twist 2017, I told them I'd come back after the world cup. Um, so I did, I gave it a shot, but like I was like on anti and flams and, um, <laughs> it was like, by the end of it, I, I was starting to like get it, but it, the bigger problem was like, I needed to put like a little bit of weight on. I needed to like lift heavy and I wasn't mm-hmm. really able to bend my knee 90 degrees. So it just wasn't meant to be. At, the, at that time, and as soon as I stopped the uh, NT and flames, my knee went, it kind of blew up, and I was like, okay, I need to take care of that. So it was a uh, short lived, but it was extremely fun. I really enjoyed it. We're going to move back into rugby, but not so much playing, more coaching, because you are a coach at Campus Notre Dame de Foy, and you have a women's rugby camp coming up next June. Would you like to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So actually, it's pretty cool because um, so Campus Notre Dame de Foy, CNDF, we call it. Um, it's a collegiate uh, school. And um, they decided to build a rugby empire with it within their walls. So um, they've hired me full time as a coach for uh, their um, women's team. So we're talking about age like 17 to 21. Mm -hmm. Um, So I get to train them like every day of the week. And we do like same, uh, similar as like a rugby academy uh, that they have uh, elsewhere in the country. Um, But just the the girls come in and they do their school and then we um, we do rugby and lift weights and do speed and and all that fun stuff. Um, But the camp is more um, so it's like a summer camp and we're like the, the age group is between 12 and 17. So it's younger and it's more about like 
Um, there's a part of the camp that's more like for beginners. And then there's another part that's more for like athletes that are a little bit older and, and that know a little bit more about rugby. So it's really for everyone. And we usually, we have a bunch of coaches um, that are all my friends <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's pretty awesome. Um, and yeah, so it's happening uh, at the end of uh, June. And it's going to be the second time that I lead it. It's the third edition of the camp. And we work with um, Gilbert Rugby Canada to um, provide some cool rugby balls and, and, and some cool stuff. So it's, it's a really, really fun camp. Uh, and actually, I have a bunch of girls that are supposed to come from Halifax uh, this oh. time around. So uh, we'll see how they do in French. They'll have to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they'll have to work at that although we all speak uh we all speak english but i think it's it's just a good way to um to enjoy rugby while uh while it's in the summer and it's yeah it's a good setup it's it's been last time it was super fun and i'm I'm really pumped for uh this year's edition so if you want to send your kid just go to my instagram and it's right there <laughs> all right sounds good and uh, we'll kind of end with this question, but and you may have touched upon it previously, but um, yeah, you know, on from a provincial level as well as a national level, what are you hoping to see from Rugby Quebec and Rugby Canada over the next few years? I I think the biggest thing that we're gonna have to see is creativity. Um, I think we can't just keep going with what we know and what we do. Um, I think as both as a province, um, and as a country, we need to, um, we need to think out of the box. We need to, uh, uh, we need to challenge, um, stakeholders. We need to, um, we need to make a, a priority of of the athletes and the growth and and how to really build uh, a strong rugby community across uh, across the province and the country. So, I think for me that that would be the main. Um, like if I was if I was to look for people, I would look for people that have ideas and and that are um, excited to make new things happen and just kind of decide to change the world that's that's what we we want to do like as athletes we we want to exist in the world and and i think we we need to change how it is we need to change the the vision we need to um we need to want something that that's bigger and better and i think that for that you need uh creative people and uh i hope that's that's where people go that's where the the institutions go kind of thing well, I think we'll end the interview there. Karen, thank you so much for our time. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, you can listen to more on Spotify, Anchor FM, and Apple Podcasts. If you would like to see our faces and Karen's as well, uh, you can do so on our YouTube channel at The Rouge Rugby, and you can find us across social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all at The Rouge Rugby. Karen, if a young woman wants to join one of your uh, rugby camps this summer or an investor wants to invest in your new women's league, uh, where can they find your Instagram? My Instagram is at Karen Paco and um, I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> <laughs> 
Derek, where can the fine people find you on social media? Um, at Brissette the Jet across all social media platforms. And you can find me across all social media platforms at Hardman, spelled H4RDMAN. Karen, once again, thank you so much for joining us for this interview. The first time we've had a Olympian and Barbarian on our podcast. It's been an absolute delight. And thank you all for listening and joining us for this episode of the Rouge Rugby Podcast, where we focus on real Canadian rugby. We hope you can join us again next time. <laughs>